We are in the book of Nehemiah. We've journeyed with Nehemiah to the point where they have finished the walls. In fact, look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. He says, though the wall was completed on the the, uh, 25th of the month, Elul, in 52 days. The wall is now done. Look at chapter 7, verse 73. The last half. And when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in their cities. And I can almost picture the Israelites. They've been working on this project. They had completed the wall. They've been divided into families and clans and tribes. That's kind of how they were divided in the, in the Old Testament culture. And now they're in their cities and they're living and they're probably saying, now what? And you ever like that, haven't you? You've been on one big project. You've been working on something. And that's, that's uh, just consumed your attention. And you've almost forgotten that the reason we're doing this project is for this reason. And you get done, you're like, okay, now, now what do I do? And that's almost become an end in itself, Right. But that wasn't the case here. I want to remind you that the the walls that were built were to fortify the city for the people of God so they could worship God. The reason they were built was so that they could resume their worship of Jehovah. At Grace West, whatever projects we undertake, they must never become an end in themselves. In our, in our attempts and, and drives to reduce our building debt, in our goals to have community outreaches, in our, in our uh, fellowships, in the things we do to invite the community and to witness and to preach, the revivals, the things that we'll host. When it's over, we shouldn't say, well, we can just file that one away. That's done. It's for the purpose of so that the people of God can worship God. And if whatever we do does not bring individuals to the place where they want to worship God, then I think we're off the mark. We're just doing events and things for program's sake. And I say, stop it. Shut it down. Quit the program. Who wants to give their time to a program? I want to give my time to a cause. Don't you? To a revolution for the sake of Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, verse 1 answers the now what question. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. Why did they gather as one person in the seventh month? Well, they were going to now obey the law of God in the seventh month. According to Leviticus, several things are required. First of all, they had to come together for what's called the Feast of Trumpets. They gathered together. And this week-long feast, you wait ten days afterwards, and then you have the one-day fast, which is known as the Day of Atonement. And following the Day of Atonement, you then begin the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Trumpets. I want to say to you that those things had not been done since the days of Joshua. They had gone that many generations disobeying and living apart from the law of God. But they were back in their city now. They were his people and he was their God. And they said, so what do we do in the seventh month? And they realized, I think it's something about the, the Feast of, tar- uh, of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. I, I better, we better bring out Ezra, the scribe, and the law of God. Look what 8.1 says. 
And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. I'm going to say something to you this morning. I'm going to say it one thing, but I'm going to say it in three, three ways. Three little bites, shall we say. Give you one little chunk. That's how I eat, you know. I, I have one meal, but I eat it in lots of bites. I'm going to give you one meal this morning, but it's going to be little bites. And I'm going to show you what happens when they ask for the Word of God. When they got together and said, how do we live this life? Now that we're back in the city of God, as his people, what do we do? How do we live? I'm going to show you what happened when the Word came in. I'm going to show you exactly what will happen in your life when you get back to the Bible. So they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. You know, I think it's interesting. They didn't ask for Ezra to give his opinion. They didn't say, Ezra, would you mind going to that neighboring nation and maybe getting their copy of maybe their laws? Can we just kind of copy theirs? They didn't say, Ezra, find some really good guys and see if y'all can write up something. No, they said, Ezra... Bring out the law of God, and let's get back to the fundamental, absolute standard. I want to say to you very clearly, the first bite I want you to chew on this morning is, there is an absolute standard. The children of Israel did not attempt to live as the people of God now without an absolute standard that determines right and wrong. I don't care what Rosie O'Donnell says. Now, Rosie O'Donnell needs Jesus. Amen? God loves Rosie O'Donnell. Don't you sit there and judge people who are away from God. He sent his son to die for them. By the same token, I'm not one of sitting around and, and act like they're okay. None of us are or were okay. We're all sinners going to hell until God reached down and saved us. And God can save Rosie O'Donnell. You ought to pray she'll get saved. I saw an interview that night. She said, I think God is really pleased that I finally found my true love. Well, you know what? I don't care what she thinks. God's not pleased because this book says that a family is a man and a woman under God's authority committed in one relationship forever. This book says in Romans 1, and you, don't, you won't like this. Romans 1 says that Women burning in their passions for women and men likewise with men is a result of people not wanting to retain God in their knowledge. So God gives them over. And you can say what you want. It's just an accident. Oh, that's just... No. Romans 1, the Bible says... See, there's an absolute standard. The Bible says that lifestyle and those passions are a result of people... Saying no to God. Now, if you struggle with that, you need to read the book. Don't look at me. My voice is going out. I've been preaching a lot this weekend. You have to forgive me. You know, I don't care what the NEA says. Where's Jim Hawkins here? He may be out this week, I think. He's one of those guys that called me. But I see Brian is here. You know, I don't care what the NEA says about evolution. We've got to teach all these theories. and We've got to. No, we don't. I know exactly how the world's got here. In the beginning, God made heaven and earth, period. It's really not that difficult. I don't care what my, uh, and I'm really going to make somebody mad now. I don't care what my Catholic columnist says. That's how he labeled himself. I'm just going to read what he wrote. I saw this in the paper a few weeks ago. Oh, listen, he says, the, the Bible alone concept, he says, it's really not supported. 
He says that Scripture is useful, but it's really not necessary. Now, if you're here and you're Catholic, again, I didn't write this. Don't get mad at me. I'm just, this is what some guy wrote. I'd call a Baptist a heretic if he wrote that. I might even call a relative a heretic if they wrote that. Maybe. I don't know. Because you know what? I don't compare what this guy wrote. He said this. He said, uh, it is useful, but not an all-inclusive handbook for being a Christian. Really? Well, you tell me what is. You see, it, this book tells me how to live and what's right and what's wrong. The problem with relativism is it puts your thoughts equal with my thoughts. Let me just ask you a question. We got a problem. Who's right? Who decides? I say, Aaron, you know what? I think I, uh, I think I just want your car. Can I just have your car? No. Well, I think it's right for me to have your car. I'm going to take it. I don't care what the law says. I think that really the law should be changed. And the truth is we should live. And so suddenly my right and wrong is relative to what I want. I just go to Aaron. I just, you know, I beat him up. I really wouldn't because he's a police officer. I beat him up, take his keys, say thanks. I drive off. He says, that's wrong. I say, no, it's not. It's right. Who says? Well, under, under relativism, nobody. I'm telling you, relativism, moral relativism, is, an, is not a slippery slope. It's a plunge off a cliff. And it leads us nowhere. And the more our nation gets away from the fundamental tenets and foundations of the Word of God, we are in trouble. This church, forever will stand on the absolute authority of the Word of God. Without apologizing, there's an absolute standard. This is Friday night. We're talking about how to get to heaven. Who gets to heaven? We're actually talking about servanthood. We weren't even talking about the gospel. But you know, God saves people anytime the Word of God is presented. Amen? And somehow, God's Spirit led us into the, the gospel message. We're talking about perishing. You know, that's not a popular word. We're talking about being saved to God and from hell. God's Spirit worked in these three young men's hearts. And they said, you know what? It doesn't matter that I never heard of hell. Or that I don't think I'll go there. Or that I'll just be obliterated and live somewhere. The truth is, the Bible says that if you don't believe, you will perish. This book is the absolute standard by which we live. And I want to say to you. You need it as the basis for your life. See, that'll take care of a lot of questions for you, won't it? Well, what do I do? Well, let's just find out in the book. And if the book says that, you know, you can get mad at anybody you want. The truth is, your problem's with God, not me, not your spouse, and not your boss. Your problem, well, you don't like what this book says, it's with God. And He'll deal with you, and you'll need to deal with Him. But, you know, that's just not the only news I want to share with you. There's an absolute standard... Here's a neat part. Watch this. And it can be understood. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. This chapter is extremely explosive in a progressive way. Watch this. Verse 3 of Nehemiah 8. And he read from it the law of God before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. You thought I preached long. In the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I want you to circle the word read. I want you to circle the word understand and the word attentive. Skip down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. 
And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Look at verse 8. And they read, circle the word read, from the book, from the law of God, translating, circle the word translating, to give the sense, circle the word sense, so that they understood the reading. Circle the word understood. Here's what you find in these few verses. It wasn't only enough that they had the law of God and said, well, there it is. It's on my shelf. That's what I believe, but I don't have a clue what it means. Ezra says that, uh, Nehemiah says that Ezra and the leaders gathered together and they began to explain the book. In fact, the word read, one of the primary roots of this Hebrew word is the idea of accosting someone. Bob, you're going to like this. The idea of going after someone and getting in their face. Nehemiah did not read this book passively. There is a sense in the word read that he actually, in a sense, in some sense, verbally, and I don't want to say accosted, but he was very forthright and engaging as he read the law. And then it says the people heard and that the people explained, they gave the sense, they translated and they understood. Most of those words, understood, attentive and translated, they come from a primary root form of to be able to mentally distinguish what's being said. For instance, if I were to give my children a hard word to understand, maybe one out of their vocabulary, I would say, here's what that word means, and I would try to break the word down. Are you with me? I would help them mentally separate the components to understand it. That's what these words mean. As they read the law of God, which, by the way, had been generations, so it probably was kind of like, man, I forgot about that, and I didn't know about that. Oh, man, these are, oh, that's right, that's what God said. And Ezra and the scribes began to Mentally help them separate what God was saying so they could understand it. I want to say to you, there is an absolute standard, and it can be understood. So be encouraged. The Bible was a book for commoners. You know, the New Testament was written in common Greek. There's a classical Greek. There's a common Greek. And what did God choose to write the New Testament in? The everyday language. Common Greek. Any any old Joe in, in that culture could have picked it up and said, oh, I know what this means. Now, in our day, I want to be honest with you, in the New Testament times that we're living in, there's, two, there's really one primary way to understand this book. And it's through the Spirit of God. All right, now I want you to listen to me. 1 Corinthians 2 teaches very clearly that the Spirit of God knows the mind of Christ. And then he says, who has the Spirit of God? You tell me, who has the Spirit of God? Believers. And he says this, so believers can know the mind of Christ. Some of you, it's been too long since you've read a passage, you've read a verse, you said, man, what does that mean? And you don't know what it means for the Holy Spirit to give this to you. Well, that illuminate your mind. Oh, I get it. Some of you read a verse and you run to the nearest commentary, you check the internet, or you call a preacher. What does this mean? Next time you do that, I'm going to say, read it again. He said, well, I read it again. I'm going to say, read it 50 times. And I said, then you do this. Then you ask God what it means. You've got a built-in commentary. I'm going to tell you why a lot of you don't understand the book. It's a deep thought here. You ready? You don't read it. That's exactly why. If you just take some time and read the Bible, you'd be surprised. With a heart that's open, you'd be surprised how your eyes would be opened. Because the Holy Spirit wants to tell you what this book means. 
Now, we do have gifts as well. People with the gift of teaching. Other folks, can, those gifts in the New Testament church are used to help us understand God's Word. So, men and women of God are used. That's true. But I want to be honest with you. I have maintained this all along. I've taught classes on this. I've taught teenagers how to do an inductive Bible study based on this tool, this principle. Excuse me. You have, and I'll pick out a great preacher. Billy Graham. Chuck Swindoll. John MacArthur. Bruce Wilkinson. Guys that know the Word of God. They've got all the degrees. And I will say to these kids, and I'll say to these young people that I'm talking to, you have the same basic tool John MacArthur has. No, I don't. No, I don't. How do you do? You've got the same basic tool Billy Graham has. They've been to school. They've expanded their knowledge and their tools. But I'm going to tell you something. You've got the same Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit was given to illumine the minds of believers. You can know the Bible. You can understand this absolute standard. Let me tell you how I prepare to preach, and I've never told you this. I like to read. I like commentaries. Yeah, I mean, um, I love to study. And most of you know that I love to study. I don't get near enough time to do it, but I just love to study. And I'll be honest with you. Um, when I study, here's what I do. I read the passage that we're studying, that we're looking at. I'll read the book. I read... And I'll just keep reading. I'll just read it. I bet I've read Nehemiah 8 50 or 60 times this week. The last thing I do is find out what other men say about it. I like to find out what they say. But I don't want to find out what they think before I've let God work in my heart. And a lot of times I may be off a little bit or maybe they're off a little bit. Who knows, you know. I try to use hermeneutic tools. I'm not saying that we just say whatever, you know, I think. I'm not saying that at all. Proper interpretation is important. But I am saying this. I think some of you are way too objective and calculated in your approach to your communion with God. The Holy Spirit is that. It is a spirit that indwells you. It's God himself indwelling you in the form of the Holy Spirit. He will communicate to you. And as God reveals to me and begins to work in my heart and massage my heart with the Word of God, I begin to see, oh, so that's what you're saying. And then I get all fired up. And I get excited. And I, it's about Monday afternoon. I've got to wait all the way to Sunday. And then my wife has to put up with a preacher who can't wait to share what the Holy Spirit has illumined my heart to. She gets it about seven times. There's an absolute standard that can be understood, but I've got to tell you, this passage is like a volcano. It gets even better. Look with me now, verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, they said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. And here's why that was. Because they were beginning to reinstitute the Feast of Trumpets, and they began to obey the law. So that was a holy day. Do not... Mourn or weep. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, this, is, this is great insight. I, I'm so excited about this part of the Word of God. Watch this. It says, uh, you might say, don't weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Now, now you think about it. It's like, man, you shouldn't stop them from crying. The Word of God broke their heart. They were repentant. They saw how far away they were. Let them cry. But Nehemiah said, stop crying. That's interesting, isn't it? You ever ask yourself why? Let's read on. 
And then he said to them, you ought to go eat of the fat and drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember I told you at the beginning that these guys were involved now in living in a community on a regular daily basis, right? The projects are over. They've got to get along on a regular basis. The strength for living. Watch me. The strength for living is not in tears. That is the strength for repentance. God will break you. God ought to break us. We ought to weep and cry in repentance. But that is not the place to find the strength for daily life. Strength for the grind is in the joy of the Lord. And what brings about joy? Watch this. The next few verses. So the Levites calmed all the people. And they said, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, and send portions, and to celebrate. To celebrate a great festival. Why? Here's a great phrase. Because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Praise God! I'm going to tell you what you ought to do when you leave here. If God comes into it, well, God is here. Not if. God is here. But if you allow His Spirit to control and work in your heart, and you sense this conviction, it ought to break your heart. But when you see the Word of God can free you, heal you, it can give you liberty. The Word of God is the answer. That ought to put away your tears and give you reason to celebrate. It is not an accident. We call this our celebration service. I don't want any part of a funeral. Yeah, you know, I, I want God to break me, but I'll tell you what I believe from this passage. I got, God gave me a word this week, a sentence. A, not, I'm not inspired. I didn't get an out loud voice, but God gave me a word in my heart. I wrote down, you know what? God's word will break you, but it will also build you. I think, you can get mad at me if you want, you can say I don't believe that, but I think too many of us, we like to stay in the broken phase. And I don't mean broken in the sense of spiritual poverty. We need that. I'm talking in the sense of like, well, I just can't do anything. I'm just so... You know, we like folks to pat us on the back and pity us. Tell us, it'll be all right. You're going to be okay. You know what? When you realize how far away from God you are, yeah, we ought to pat you on the back, help you get right. But then I ought to say, now listen, God's Word has freed you. Celebrate. Get happy. Rejoice. There's an absolute standard. And it can be understood. And when it is, it brings joy and freedom to people.